Welcome into another episode of the Growing Faith Podcast. My name is Rick McClatchy. I'm your host today. I'm a staff pastor at the Rocky Butte campus of Mana House. We're in the greater Portland metro area and down in Eugene. If you want to find out more info about the church, you can check out manahouse.church. I'm here at the Growing Faith Podcast. Our heart is simply this. It's so simple, yet so complex. Uh, Simply to uh, equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Uh, I believe that the work of the ministry is not merely for the pastors and the people on staff at the church, but that God has called each and every one of us. He welcomes us into his family to to be a part of his plans and purposes here on earth. And so not meant to as a part of the church to merely be spectators, to merely be along for the ride, but that God has something uh, specific for us to be a part of as he places the members in the body. And so as we're talking about being placed in the body, we've been talking about the body of Christ, the church. Um, I brought in for another episode my friend Travis Arnold from Portland Bible College. Welcome in, Travis. Thank you, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So uh, last time we talked kind of about like what is the church and um, what what did you give us as our kind of our running definition of what is the church? The church is the community of people who are in Christ, gathered to Christ through faith in Him. And it's, it's what God has always been after. He's always wanted a people who would be his people, his family. And so the church is simply the fact that he has finally and ultimately accomplished that in Jesus. So that everyone who repents of their sin and believes in Jesus and calls him Lord is therefore automatically, whether they need revelation about this and whether they need to submit to that is a different story, but they are automatically a part of his church and should therefore orient their lives around this new community. That's awesome. I, and I know we talked about it being the covenant yeah. community, and I liked how we, we dug in a little bit to what covenant is. You talked about roles and rules and responsibilities and rewards as all being four uh, key strong components of a covenant relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel like those are um, really great things that continue to remind ourselves that exist inside that church uh, family relationship um, model, if you yeah. will. And um, so I thought that was worth saying again. Um, and so as we talk about the church being God's covenant community, um, let's talk about that word community. I mean, mm. I am a, I'm a small groups pastor, you know, like I love mm. small groups. I'm always trying to help build community in the, in our Rocky Butte campus, you know, trying to make sure people are really connected and and I can tell you in American church culture, that's um, easier said than done for sure yeah. um, to really try to build true community. So now that I have like a, a like a legit Bible teacher sitting down <laughs> next to me, um, like, uh, you know, you have permission to blow my mind today about what no is the pressure. What, right? I know, no <laughs> pressure. What does the Bible have to say about community and what does it mean and how do we how do we be a part of it? I don't know. Like. Help me out here, man. Well, as we discussed last time, this is probably the most central theme in all of Scripture, I think. Uh, Theologians debate as to what is the central theme they're going to orient their theology around, but I think community of God is the all-encompassing one. Because as we discussed last time, God himself is a community. 
He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There was never a time when all three of those persons didn't cohere together as one God in community. And so out from his nature as a community, the whole story of God, the whole drama of his people unfolds. And so that's so close. It's literally the heart of who God is, his community. And so it doesn't surprise us that when he creates us out of an overflow of his love, he wants to form us into a community. So I don't think you could, you could touch a more central concept in Scripture. And then it, so it isn't a shock when Jesus uh, says about his mission, I will build my church uh, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And so last time we looked at that word, and that, that word church is actually one of the biggest Bible words for community. Because if you recall, the church, that word ecclesia, is the word that got used in the Bible when it got translated to Greek, is the word that was used to describe how the Israelites, as the community of God in the Old Testament, how they were gathered around God's tabernacle as gathered together as his worshiping community and had the laws of God to govern their community. And so Jesus really emphatically says, but I will build my church, and this time the gates of Hades won't prevail against it, which means he hasn't given up on the plan that we read throughout the Old Testament to form a community. He's just saying, I'm going to bring it to its completion now so that I will build my community, so that instead of the community being formed around a tent and through the law of Moses, it's now going to be formed around the person, the Son of God, which that tent was always pointing forward to, the presence of God manifest in our midst and worshiping him and being bound together by his teaching and his laws. And so we have to start there with Jesus' teaching. The church is a community. It is, it is the people of God gathered to his presence. Um, and then the, the other big word for community in the Bible is the word koinonia. That's the word fellowship. It is actually an exact correlate to the English word community. And this word just gets used a bunch in Scripture to define the church, how the church is a community, and, how, and what it means is to have in common. So a community, you could think of it as a combination of the words uh, common and unity. So what makes us a church is not just that we like each other, Otherwise, any old community in the world could be God's church. No, no, no. We have in common, what we have in common is what unites us, and what we have in common is Christ and his spirit, which I think puts a, puts a real important emphasis on small groups. Small groups are not Christians who happen to get together. Small groups, if they are forming Christian community, must be centered on Christ and his word and the worship of him. Otherwise, it's just board games. It's not, it's, it's not the formation of Christian community, I would say. It has to be centered on Christ and his word. The way, I, the way I've talked about this a few times in some other episodes, um, because I think it's really easy for us to just form social clubs. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of actually where I was going with that whole comment about uh, the American church and just our, our American culture. Um, very independent, very... Uh, on your own pioneer trailblazer, especially in the Northwest, we have even a, maybe a little extra dose of that, yeah. uh, you know? And <laughs> so even when people choose to get together with other people, it's on their own schedule, their own time they're when it's convenient for them. Um, and, and I'm not really even trying to criticize that cause I am that right. So uh, I, 
shoot. <laughs> um, but uh, where was I going with that? I Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And no one comes unto the Father except through me. And and so here at Manor House, we say that um, small groups are the main purpose of small groups. Our why is to develop life-giving relationships. And, and so I say, you can't have life-giving relationships if you don't focus on the life you know if jesus is the way the truth and the life Mm -hmm. without him there can be no life in your life giving relationships and so um i've you know i've been definitely trying to build that concept that culture in in our small groups because i think you hit the nail on the head like board games are fun i love board games um, been recently playing this one called guesstimation. It's very, mm, never, it's never very played. interesting. They pull the most random facts and you just try to guess the answer. Yeah. And then whoever guesses the closest to the answer, uh, wins the card and anyways, it's a whole deal. But, um, <laughs> uh, that is not Christian community right there. That is just board games. <laughs> and I think God, that Christian community can encompass board games. Absolutely. But we just have to make sure we're putting the emphasis on the right syllable. You know, Whoa. Um, we, we that that is not the essence of Christian community. Christ is the essence of Christian community. Otherwise, otherwise we get together with people that have the same likes as us, have the same color of skin as us, have the same preferences as us. And the church community should not look like the rest of the world's communities. It should look like every nation, tribe and, and tongue and interest united not on their likes or culture but united in the kingdom culture around jesus and And i I like that that's how you defined the word community is our common our common unity yeah i'm kind of just uh like processing that in my head a little bit that jesus 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 is our common unity and that means if we take the kingdom of god idea that we are first Christians. We are first in Christ. And then we were whatever else we are, you know, whether you want to go skin color, ethnicity, I don't know, role in life, whatever other definitions you want to give yourself. Mm -hmm. If, if Christ is the first thing, then we automatically have something in common with everyone that is a part of our local church and we can find our common unity, right? In building that community. Um, and that I'm just going to drop you off a cliff there because I didn't, I didn't have a great way to wrap that thought up, but (laughs) that's all right. That's all right. So, um, we're, so the word fellowship is to hold in common and we just have to keep in mind that Christ is what we have in common. Um, there's, there's, um, this word gets used, uh, I think 19 times koinonia in, in the new Testament. And most of them have to do with the community of believers, almost all of them. One that's really interesting to me, which will tie into the previous conversation is what John says in 1 John 1, 3. He says, That which we apostles, that's the we there, we apostles like John, have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with, and if this were a Mad Lib, and you had to guess what to fill in the blank there, what what would you fill in? We, We preach Christ to you so that you too may have fellowship with, what would you say? Most Christians would say, with God. He says, we preach to you so that you can have fellowship with us. Oh. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, this paints an interesting picture. What Christ did is he invited his, his apostles into the community 
he already experienced with his Father. And we would add the Spirit. Father, Son, and Spirit have in eternity this beautiful community. What John just said is he invited us into that fellowship. And he said, the church is this, when we preach the gospel to you so that you could have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. There is no room for just me and Jesus in that equation. Nor is there room from Christianity uh, without access to Christ through the apostles' teaching about him. But it doesn't come to us through any other avenue than their preaching. And when it's preached to us, our fellowship isn't just directly with the Father and the Son. It's with it's with the rest of his family, the church. And I think that helps us to put it into frame. The church is literally the community of God extended first to his apostles uh, and to us. And we're actually brought up into God's own communal life and we're sharing in it as the church. That's what our fellowship is. Um, and so the other, the other big word for, for community in scripture is family. And there's kind of two sets of words there. One is brothers and sisters. Let's say the church is brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. And I think that th those that set of vocabulary, Adelphoi, helps you get the sense that there's real loving, sometimes raw and um, maybe even tumultuous relationships. Anyone who has brothers and sisters probably <laughs> understands about that. Uh, but it's real, and that's how Jesus described the actual community life the first time he talked about it, brothers and sisters who might be sinning against one another and how they're going to have to figure it out in the church uh, in Matthew 18. But then there's another word that's used, and it's the word oikos, and that's the word household. And that brings up not just the fact that we're family members, but that there is a structure and order to how we relate as family. For brothers and sisters, that's just our relationship. But the other Bible word that's used is we're a household. That means there's moms and dads, there's chores, there's rules, there's this is how we do it in this house. And Paul can instruct Timothy, make sure people are behaving appropriately in the household of the faith. And he doesn't mean make sure kids aren't running around in the sanctuary. He means make sure that we're actually doing Christian community the way that God intended us to do. And there's some structure and order when, when, when we talk about that. So um, I'm going to jump back to the board game thing. I'm yeah, hung yeah. up on it. You <laughs> He's know? all hung up on um, the board game. <laughs> so are you a Catan kind of person? I Is am. That, yeah, kind Cities of, and Nights. I felt like that would be your, your jam. It is. Um, I played Settlers one time, and it was such a horrible experience. <laughs> I've never gone back to it, but um, that's beside the point. Um, so we talk about how... Are you even Christian? Potentially, we'll have to use that for another episode. So okay. um, <laughs> that's a long conference. No. Um, so um, we talked about how we need to make sure that the community is focused around Christ. Yeah. I went on my thing about life-giving relationships, and... Um, and so, I don't know, maybe we could just dig a little bit practically into that idea of centering our relationships around Christ. Like, what, is, what does that even look like? Because I could see a lot of people um, being kind of confused. Because our culture is not really geared for knowing how to, like, fellowship around. Because I, I feel like uh, our our culture is built, again, individualistically. So when we think about our relationship with God, we think one-on-one. -on -one. 
we think our quiet time, our time alone with God, our devos, our whatever the phrase is you want to do for that time uh, of day, which I think can, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm pro that. I think mm-hmm, people mm-hmm. should spend time with God alone in the morning and that kind of thing. Um, but I also think it can lead to a little bit of car- compartmentalization in their life where they spend time with God and then they go do their thing yeah. <laughs> the rest of the day. I like to say they, they uh, spent their time alone with God and then, you know, cussed out the person that <laughs> cut in line at the grocery store or whatever because yeah. um, they left whatever holiness they had. They left it. <laughs> they left it in their quiet they left time it in the pew. Yeah. <laughs> so um, what does it look like to to bring Christ in the middle of, of our of our community? Um, I think the Bible paints a big picture of that as you look at the way that it describes the Christian community in the book of Acts and in the letters where the apostles address these communities called, that we call local churches. And uh, the first example, like the moment the church is formed, he says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, that's our word, and the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And this maybe is more simplistic than you might have thought it would be, but um, that is the basic formula, that when we're together, what are we devoting ourselves to? We're, well, we're talking about Scripture. We're devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching. They had it straight from their mouths before it was written, but we have access to it through Scripture. So we continue to do that. Like, when we're together, are we talking about God and the Bible and, hey, what does this ber- verse mean in theology, uh, to fellowship? Uh, uh, enjoying the God life in and through us. That it doesn't always have to be focused, I think, on Scripture and prayer, but enjoying the real divine life that flows through us, enjoying each other, laughing, you know, um, playing, having fun, crying together, being there for one another. And that passage, if there are people who are in need, we give our money and our assets to help them. Mm-hmm. So th- they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, having meals together, and not just any old meals, the, you know, the, the communion meal, and to prayer. And so I, I think it means we're doing those things when we're together. We're like praying together. And, you know, I think most of us have experienced this, where um, my, my friend Ryan Harder, who passed away a couple of years ago, uh, just over a year ago, um, a couple of years ago he invited a few of us guys up to a cabin in the middle of nowhere with no electricity or uh, um, Internet and we just spent a couple days hanging out and just having fun. And we were a bunch of nerds and Bible college grads, so we did talk theology a lot. Uh, but even that can be absent of God, really. We're just kind of intellectual sparring is more what it was. But then toward the end of the weekend, he did this thing, which we should all want to do. We're all believers. He said, hey, why don't we just all before we leave, let's get around and let's lay hands on each one of us and just pray over us. And we spent a couple hours just praying and prophesying and weeping. And it wasn't awkward in the moment. How could it be? We all have the Spirit of God and we love this. But it felt awkward to initiate it. And it just took a, someone like Ryan to say, no, we're going to do this. And none of us were going to say, oh, no, we don't want to do that. Even if we didn't want to do that, you know, we know that you shouldn't say that. Sort of thing. <laughs> and I think sometimes we just have to push back the, past the cultural awkward and embrace a kingdom culture in which that isn't awkward. And I think like jumping into a cold pool, once you're in it, you'll say, oh, this actually feels nice. Yes, this is actually what we were supposed to be doing all along. And I think uh, there's another verse in Philemon. 
you know what the book of Philemon's about. Um, there's a church leader who has a slave, and the slave has run away. And Paul is basically saying, I want you to forgive him because he's now your brother in Christ. And in fact, I want you to release him to minister with me. But he says this before he gets into kind of persuading Philemon to, to, to do that. He says, I hear of your love, Philemon, and the faith you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. This is Philemon, now I'm in verse 6. And listen to this. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Now, when, when you hear that, Rick, what do you think that word sharing of your faith means? In Christianese, I'm not yeah, asking well, for the right yeah, answer. Yeah, it would be like right it'd be like evangelizing, right? Like sharing your faith with someone would be yeah. So maybe Philemon isn't a good evangelist, and what Paul is saying at the beginning of this book about releasing a slave for some reason, he's saying, "I pray that you'd be a better evangelist," and that could be what he means. But that word there, sharing, is the word fellowship. It's the word koinonia. So let's reread it again. I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective. Why might Philemon's faith not have been, why, why might the sharing, the fellowship of his faith might not have been effective? Hmm. Well, knowing what the book is about, it's not hard to guess. He, the fellowship of his faith could be ineffective because he's not forgiving a brother, not treating another God image hmm. bearer who's now a brother in Christ the way he ought to. And so Paul is saying, you, you have been, he, you're a church leader. The fellowship of this faith that you would experience is effective, but you know what? It could be more effective by forgiving and loving people the way they should be. And so this is a challenge to us. What if the Christian fellowship we enjoy on Sundays and in small groups is good, but not good enough? Could we be confronted with the same thing with which Philemon is confronted, that maybe my fellowship needs to become effective. And I think that's a challenge to us. Yes, yes, maybe I need to do more forgiving, more giving, more pouring out of myself, more praying, more sharing, so that this thing called Christian community can go beyond the superficial. You know what? Um, I just actually want to stop and um, and pray for a minute just mm. on, that, on that thought, because I'm being a little bit rocked by that one right now. Um, how we can we can uh, we can uh, kind of be a part of what ends up being a little bit of just a show hmm. of Christian community um, and and actually missing some of the life that is supposed to be flowing in us and through us and from us, you know, hmm. as we um, walk in that. And so, um, Father God, right now we just pray, Lord, over over that word. Um, that just got put out there from your word, God. Your word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, God, that you're going to take in this moment, God, to cut to cut deep into people's hearts, Lord, exposing the things that need to be exposed, Lord, even as you're doing in, in my own heart right now, just thinking through things that, wow, maybe I need to um, go back to that person and 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 button up that relationship and and forgive and be forgiven and lord i just pray that you would speak a fresh word into our hearts today god of how we can lord make the fellowship of our faith effective yes. lord that 
um, that as we live, God, just that genuine faith of our life with you, with one another, God, that it would produce the life in each other that it is supposed to produce, mm -hmm. God. And so, Lord, we pray that you just begin to strip away, Lord, even just our cultural understanding of Christianity and our walk with you and begin to replace it, God, with a true understanding of what we're supposed to be walking in, Lord, that we would walk in the fullness yes. of Christ, Lord, and not, not a... a a tempered version, not a compromised version of it, Lord, but um, everything that you have in store for us. And so I thank you for it right now, God. We just uh, entrust our hearts to you afresh today, God, that you would, man, Lord, have your way. Lord, let your kingdom come yes. and your will be done in each of our hearts today, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Yeah, that's, it's very challenging. Um, and, and this is the thing that the Christian community will not be perfected until the time of Christ's return. And until then, what scripture says is he is actively perfecting it. And we have to participate with the spirit in that because he will. Um, and this is what much of Ephesians is about. He's, he's formed this new fellowship, this new community. And now we have to maintain that community by being humble, by being loving and by building one another up. Uh, and by letting the Spirit flow through us to build other people up so that eventually the church will become everything God had in mind as this manifestation of his life in the midst of the world. And, um, and maybe that would be a good point to transition into talking about what is the purpose of the church. Um, uh, and um, because that's, that's a big question, okay? The church is God's idea. Hey, and it turns out God had in mind that we experienced it in specific communities called churches, um, which are fellowships in Christ. Um, but what is its role? What is its role? And I think that's a really silly question to ask unless you clarify what you mean. Uh, and I, I would beg us to clarify what is the role of the church in respect to what? Because the role of the church with regard to God is different from the role of the church with regard to the world and the role of the church with regard to the devil, you know, like, because we have these different roles that the Bible places on what the church should be and do. And um, in, in my classes, I give four things. I say the role of the church in relationship to God is to worship him and to glorify him. The role of the church in relation to, uh, to the world is to reach out to it and to preach the gospel to it. The role of the church in relationship to the devil, and this one we often leave out, but don't leave the devil out, is to conquer him and to judge him and to triumph over him. And the role of the church in relationship to itself is to edify it and build it up. And, and when the Bible talks about Christian community, it, it really puts it in those terms. When you're together, let everything be done to build one another up Every word you say should be in love and in truth to build people up. Every gift you use should be to strengthen people and encourage them and to build them up. That might even involve exposing sin in their lives with, a, with an attitude of love for them in mercy uh, because you don't want to see them uh, struggle. And it, and it might involve just encouraging them and loving on them. But we have to remember that is actually that's the role of our community with regard to our own self is to is to build one another up. It's a big thing about what Christian community is for.
So, um, yeah, that's interesting. So our our role with God is to worship Him, mm-hmm. with the devil to conquer Him, yeah, with the world to reach out, mm-hmm. and with the church, with one another to edify, to build up, strengthen, encourage those kinds of things. Yeah. So, um, do you feel like uh, we ever maybe get a little bit uh, misguided or? perhaps maybe try to take some of the role that we're supposed to have from, you know, one place and kind of put it in another place. Yeah. Yeah. Think of, think of how dangerous that could be. Uh, Like, let's say the role of the church to the devil is to conquer it. Don't get that confused with the role of the church for God. You know, you don't want to say we need to conquer God and worship the devil. (laughs) So right away (laughs) you can tell, and that's an absurd example, but it's an absurd example that makes the point. It could be dangerous to mix up the roles with respect to different subjects, or rather objects to, of, of that role. So I think I think we can. I think the biggest danger is mixing up the priority, because the Bible does have a priority. The Bible would tell us first and foremost, the role of the church is to glorify God. We're told that the church is God's eternal purpose to show forth His wisdom, even to to. Uh, angelic uh, and demonic principalities in heavenly realms uh, to the glory of God the Father. It says that in Ephesians 3. So the, the primarily, we're to glorify God by being his community. So let's pause for yeah, a minute. Yeah, okay. <laughs> let's assume there is someone out there that maybe they've even been a part of church their whole life, but they hear you and they go, okay, Travis, that sounds great. I'm supposed to glorify God. But if I'm really honest, I don't even know what that means. Yeah. Like, it's this ethereal concept with no uh, no rubber meeting the road, you know? And yeah. so, um, do you have a simple way to break down that thought of glorifying God? Yeah. Um, first, I think first it's, um, maybe, maybe the first thing that comes to our mind is worship, where we exalt him and praise him and come together. Um, and sing his praise and profess his glory. Uh, But the Bible tells us, you know what? Jesus teaches us, and the apostles teach us, glorify God with your deeds. Let your light so shine before men as the church that they see your good deeds and glorify God. And this is where these different roles touch one another. Mm -hmm. They're They're not in silos. They're not separated. So primarily, we exist for the glory of God. What's the, what's the catechism say? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I think it's a good statement. Um, notice how that, uh, that old theological statement was smart enough not to try to separate those things. You can't glorify God without enjoying him and relationship with him. Um, so that's a, it's an all-encompassing thing to glorify God. It means all of my thoughts, all of my deeds toward my brothers and sisters, all of my deeds even toward my enemies ought to reflect the character and nature of God, which means I can't harbor sin in my heart or in my actions. Every time I sin, I'm detracting from God's glory. I'm sullying his name. And so it's a, that's an all-encompassing thing. For the church to glorify God means it must be holy. It must reflect his love in our fellowship together. It means that we must love the world around us and do good deeds to them 
It means all of those things. And that's why it's priority. Like, like there really is a priority with these roles. First, and Jesus said it, didn't he? What's the greatest command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is this. There is a priority. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. And so um, we, we could misprioritize these things. Now, two of those things will last forever. Two, two of the four purposes we talked about. Two of them are eternal ones. Two of them are temporary. Uh, so think, think through them. They're, they're listening. You, you right here, Rick. Uh, the first one, glorify God and fellowship with believers. We're going to be doing both of those things forever. Hmm. Two of those things will not do forever. Um, reaching out to lost people in the world, that'll stop happening one day. And um, conquering, and the, conquering devil. <laughs> the devil, that will stop happening one Praise day. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Praise the Lord won't stop happening forever. Conquering the devil uh, will stop happening forever. Come on. Which tells us that while those last two are urgent, they are not central to what we are. Central, essential to what we are, if something's going to be part of our essence, it has to be something that's eternal, that's going to be everlasting. The essence of what the church is, is the community of God that glorifies God in worship and enjoys fellowship with one another. We have these temporary tasks, which are urgent because they're temporary. We have to reach the lost, and there's urgency to that, and we have to conquer the devil. But remember, why did John say he was so eager to reach the lost and share the gospel? So that your fellowship might be with us. We don't reach the lost because that's our main purpose. We reach the lost so that they can be added to the fellowship of God's people, which is our eternal purpose. And so the community of God that glorifies him is always the chief objective and always the primary thing throughout all of Scripture. And to that end, we evangelize. Um, the conquering the devil one's a little... We're not supposed to like go out there and like find the devil and beat him up. It's, it's more like overcoming him when he tempts us and, and confounding him by, by submitting to God who uses us as an example by which he'll be judged. So I don't think we should be going looking for the devils under every rock and uh, casting them out. You know, it's a little bit like um, Job, yeah, conquering yeah. the devil by simply remaining faithful, yeah, to God in the midst of ridiculous trial and temptation and exactly. all that kind of stuff. And I, I, uh, I had a, a conversation with someone one time. I was like, you know, sometimes we think about victory and you know being the winner in in Christian context and we think that means we're making good money mm -hmm. we're like we're in a good position we're healthy we're all this stuff and and i think to myself i don't know um job job was considered really really successful like um winning for him success for him looked like sitting in a pile of ashes scraping boils yeah with broken pottery right like yeah. Um, that's not usually the kind of picture we have yeah. for walking in victory. And um, and yet he was judging Satan because Satan's like, uh, he only worships you because you're good to him. Yeah. And and uh, what a what, what a simple way, what a very challenging way. Yeah. But what a simple way to honor God is that no matter what circumstance, situation, whatever, trial, 
comes our way that we keep him preeminent above all things, honor him, surrender to him. Yeah. Um, that that in and of itself is glorifying God mm -hmm. and conquering the devil. Yeah. And so so we can see that all of these things are coming coming under that one head, glorifying God. Yeah. We glorify God by worshiping and praising him. But if we fellowship with one another, that second purpose, that's bringing glory to him because because we're we are enjoying his life and glorifying his life and sharing it. If we reach out to people, we're glorifying God because we're, sh we're extending that to other people so that they may too be added to his community to glorify God. And if we suffer and if we overcome temptation and if we have to go through hardship, we're confounding the damned devil by gl by and glorifying God in doing so. And Jesus Jesus taught us to do the same thing. Colossians, one of my favorite verses is in Colossians 1. And Paul says, if you could look at what was happening at Golgotha, you'd see a helpless man whose body was mangled up something reminiscent of hamburger meat, and he was bleeding and broken and helpless and dead and defeated. But if you could just peel back the veil of Revelation, it says what Jesus Christ was doing on the cross was wrapping a chain around the neck of the demonic world, dragging its sorry carcass across the stage of the, co the cosmos, making an open mockery of it, triumphing over it while he dangled on that cross helplessly. And so, yes, Christians are called to be victorious over the devil and in this life, but probably we should follow our Lord in the manner in which we do that by surrendering to him, living cruciform lives, lives mm -hmm. formed by the cross, and, and being willing to suffer with him if necessary. That's what triumph looks like, according to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And who, dare can, who, who can dare define it differently? He gets to define it, doesn't he? Well, yeah, in any other way we try to define it, leads us to real um, crises of faith at some mm -hmm. point, right? Because if our faith is um, somehow tied into some particular form of circumstance or uh, desired outcome, and that fails because <laughs> it's yeah. not in God's uh, plan, then goodness gracious, what do you do with that? Yeah. When the plan goes south and you're like, well, uh, you know, it's like when the disciples heard really hard words and, and Jesus was like, are you going to leave me? Yeah. Like all these other people just left me and they're like, well, where are we going to go? Yeah. You're the one that has the words of life. So yeah. even like, if they're hard to hear, yeah. I need to hear them. And I, so I think that's yeah. so good. Um, yeah. And conversely, we shouldn't go running after hardships. <laughs> Jesus taught us, <laughs> hey, when you see these things happening, you should leave, you know. Or uh, Paul said, uh, I prayed three times. Mm. which probably was a Hebraism to mean I pray Prayed and continue lot. to pray repetitively, <laughs> yeah. remove this thorn. And he said, my grace is sufficient. I won't remove it, whatever that thorn was. So we don't, we don't go running after it. That becomes trying to prove our holiness by how much we're suffering. And there's a lot of Christians like that too. But nor do we, nor do yeah. we, um, nor do we think that that triumph in this life looks like the world's version of it. It, it doesn't. Yeah. So good. So, uh, we want to glorify God. We want to conquer the devil. We want to reach out to the world. Um, and we want to build up, edify, encourage um, one another, fellowship with one another. Um, and then just talked a little bit about bringing Christ into the middle of everything that we do. I love that you pulled out of Acts chapter 2, 
the um, when they came together, it was the apostles teaching and prayer and fellowship and uh, eating together, right? Yeah, breaking the, bread. Yeah, and um, and that and I like that it's a meal, but it's also the communion meal. So yeah. it's not just a cracker and a little cup of juice, and we say you know in remembrance of him, and you know, mm-hmm. but but it was a whole meal, like yeah. it was a whole experience a fellowship uh yeah, doing yeah. that in the remembrance of what jesus has done for us and i think that actually is a really uh powerful dynamic that probably most of us miss out on most of the time yeah if i could this might ruffle feathers but if if i could say this the primary way any religion worshipped their deity in the ancient world, including the Jews and including the Christians, was to eat a meal in the presence of that deity. Um, and so I don't have time to, to explain that or to unpack it, but it's true because worship is seen as fellowshipping with that God. And so um, in the Old Testament, you'll read some things about singing, and God is very passionate about his people gathering together and singing to him, and that is worship. But it isn't the main thing that worship is in the Old Testament. It's offering sacrifices, part of which were taken and eaten by the by the offerer and the priest, and part of which were offered to God. And so when Jesus came on the scene, you'll read, you'll read very little about them singing in the New Testament. And there's some things there, and they are there, and it's very important for us to do. But the centerpiece of their worship was eating bread and drinking wine as a, as a kind of as a repeating of what they, the Jews did at Passover, which was a cut. Remember, God told them to eat, eat a meal uh, when he formed them into a covenant nation. And that Passover meal was what Jesus was celebrating with his disciples when he reappropriated it mm-hmm. and said, now I make a new covenant in my blood. So the same way that the Passover meal was the, was the thing that formed the nation of Israel as a covenant community. So now I'm doing this afresh. This is my body. This is my blood. So this meal that we eat in his presence is celebrating the covenant he made with us that's what makes us into the church, the covenant community. And it is what we do to worship him. And around that meal, they would preach and they would sing and they would give and they would speak in tongues and prophesy. But, but central to what worship is, is fellowshipping with God and with each other. That has to define, even as cultures change and how we do things differently because of 2,000 years of church history, that's fine, but the concept cannot change. Worship is essentially glorifying God by enjoying fellowship with him and his, and his people in the context of covenant community. I love it. I'm re- I'm glad you said it. Uh, even if it ruffles feathers, I think it's healthy for us to to be challenged by that. And I and I think I've said before. You know, it's clear in the Bible, meals are an important thing. Feasts, festivals. I mean, God's actually really into parties and mm-hmm. and celebrations. And um, and I just would say as a challenge to all of you small group leaders out there, as we do a lot of stuff on the Growing Faith podcast specifically for small group leaders, one incredibly powerful thing you can do to set your small group up to really shape people's lives is to eat a meal together, but not just eat a meal, like, you know, get a bucket of fried chicken and and go to town, but 
focusing that meal around Christ and what he has done for us and sharing in the fellowship of Christ while eating a meal together, because it's so interesting how we sit down to eat a meal. It's one of the rare times in Mm -hmm. today's culture that we slow down enough to think about something, you know, Mm -hmm. other than what's just playing loudly in our heads. When you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Like when you sit down for a meal with your small group, you know, maybe it's praying over the meal at the beginning that helps set the tone, even what you pray while you're praying for the meal um, to set the tone for that fellowship that happens around that meal. Because it's in those moments, I think that people's hearts are unlocked a little bit. Um, They open their hearts up to Jesus a little bit more, maybe in that moment. Maybe they've been running away from him. Maybe they've been really struggling. And something powerful happens in that moment in the fellowship of the saints uh, with, you know, the Holy Spirit invited in in that moment that people's hearts are are touched or transformed. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, something that sometimes in our busyness of life, we get away from having meals uh, in small groups because it takes too much time or it's too expensive or we can't figure out, you know, the space or whatever, all those challenges that can get in the way. And I challenge you today to find ways around those challenges, you know, potluck and all that kind of stuff to get to get it there and then take time to focus that meal on who Jesus is and what he's done. Absolutely. I, I And I would attest to that just from my own experience in life, how much communities formed over meals. And, you know, and if even if you're going to take the next step and make it a communion meal, you know, don't use the fried chicken as Jesus' body. The symbols are <laughs> sacred and important. Come on, not yeah, that's good. That's not true. Um, and some people have a problem with doing that in a small group. They think it should only be done in the, the whole gathered congregation. Um, I think any kind of expression of a local church's meeting can, can do the communion meal. But even if we do it like when we're back gathering in church um, on a Sunday and we have communion um, and... Uh, I, you know, extend that out beyond that. Say, okay, go invite someone out to dinner somewhere or at least make plans to do it later that week so that that um, that meal, which we do together in the symbol part in the church service, because it's for just for the, the sake of how hard it is to kind of have a whole big potluck meal as a congregation. But it's up to yeah. us individually to make sure the fullness of that gets brought into our lives where this is this is a sacred ceremony, but it's also something we should be that should be extending into our communal life as the church. It's mm-hmm. up to us to live out biblical Christianity, not so just good. the people on the platform. All right. So, Master Teacher, um, why don't you provide me with the summary of this chapter that we've just written? Like, all right. <laughs> try to bring all of the wanderings of Rick's mind yes. <laughs> during this episode into uh, sum up for me you know, what we've talked about as we've dug into what is community and then what is the purpose of the church as we've talked about. Yeah. So community is, uh, Christian community is sharing in common Christ and his spirit. And it's, it's fleshed out in, in real life relationships where we, uh, love one another. We forgive one another. We build each other up. And this is one of the purpose that is the purpose of the church with regard to one another. Uh, and the other purposes of the church are to glorify God. That's the main one. Because every every time we enjoy fellowship with one another 
and do these other purposes, it's all for the glory of God. And then secondarily, we have fellowship with one another, and, we, and, and that is to build one another up and to edify each other. But also for the time being, we're called to reach the lost and not just get them saved, remember, to make them disciples and to add them to the community. That's the, that's the reason. And in doing all of this, we're judging the devil. Um, we're conquering sin. We are, we, are, we are judging him by the example of our obedience to God and being, being um, submissive to everything that he puts in our way, knowing that we can rely on him to do that. So um, community is sharing Christ uh, in all areas of our life. And our purpose is to glorify God, enjoy fellowship with his people, to reach the world and make disciples of them, and to judge the devil. Come on. So good. And uh, so that'll keep you busy for a couple of years. And so we'll check back <laughs> in with you and see how you're doing on all those tasks. And so um, thankfully, we get to do it by the power of God's spirit dwelling within us and um, giving us the will and the, the way. <laughs> oh, and can I do a commercial? Oh, yeah. Uh, these, my, the two courses I teach, Doctrine of the Church, which is the big overview of the church's purpose, and then local church, which is a course that looks at the specifics of how a church should function according to the Bible. You can audit those courses um, uh, and where you just get all the audio for them. If you go to portlandbiblecollege.org, through some, one of the links, you'll find a way if you want to. You could take those courses for credit online or live as well, but you can also audit them and just buy the audio for it. It doesn't cost as much as it does to take the course for credit. And uh, just listen to these if uh, if you'd like to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't uh, I couldn't recommend higher um, the the value of the courses offered at Portland Bible College. Like I said, my life was just completely transformed by it. And uh, I actually still, I mean, thankfully I live around here and I get to benefit from conversations with uh, so many of the teachers as you've gotten to walk through even the, the six different episodes that we did with Lanny Hubbard on studying the Bible and uh, all of the value that he brought in those episodes. If not, go back and check those out. And so, uh, so many of the courses that, uh, that they teach are the things that have provided much of the information that we've been able to, to give in these episodes. And so what a great way to have kind of an assistance in uh, further study, you know, without having to try to go find everything out on your own and find the right books to read and how to process the information. It's such a, a great way to kind of springboard you into learning more about the church and about the Word of God and about all of these things are such important parts of our lives. And so PortlandBibleCollege.org, um, I'll actually find some good links for you, uh, put them in the show notes. So you go ahead and check those out. And uh, with that, Again, if you have any questions or comments or snide remarks, uh, feel free to email me at rickm at manahouse.church. Love to hear from you. And uh, with that, uh, again, Travis, thank you so much. Uh, we might have to bring you back just to talk about uh, feasts and meals, uh, potentially. That could be a really great thing to jump into. My wife could do it. She, she, oh, nice. She studied that and kind of worked that out as well. Well, and she has a cool accent. And, and yeah, so it's just fun she to listen sounds to way smarter than either of us just from the get-go. It's so it's not smart. fair. <laughs> That's true. I won't fight that one one bit. So uh, with that, we just say a big hearty God bless you. God bless and you. Uh, have the most amazing day today.